I can't believe we're already nearing the end here. We're going to miss you guys. It's just been nice getting to know you. And you all have one of these little things that we passed out before we get to plantar fasciitis. We're going to discuss a little bit, go back to um, the hydrotherapy. Remember we mentioned a, about the little pads that you can put on? This is how they come. This is how we sell them at our school. And we loved learning about this. And um, when I researched it some, they said even though it's this thin, it's still just as effective of having as having a mix of like flaxseed and charcoal, which they usually say do about a quarter of an inch. So this is just as effective because of how they've put it together. So like my brother who had that that bite from the <laughs> from the cat, right? He just put it right on there, just peeled it off, and you put it right on there. And then there are these little white things. So if you're in bed at night rolling around, you can secure it. You pull this off, it's sticky, and you can secure it a little bit better so it doesn't leak. But he would just put one here and one on the other side, just peel it off, stick it on there, and then he could work all day, and it did its job. And then at night, same thing. So if you have any bad sores or infections and things like that, I mean, I could tell you lots of stories, but we don't have time Yes, this is charcoal. So if you would like to, you can peel it off. If you have any little sore, any little thing that's going on, see that? That black part, you can put that right on your skin, just like that. And see, and it stays right there. Yep, it'll stay. And then if you need to protect it more, you can always put this little thin, sticky thing and make it more like a Band-Aid. Yeah. Yeah, these come with it. At first, we didn't know what they were because everything's in Korean. <laughs> so we kind of figured it out after a while because my brother, when he wore it at night, sometimes it would get on the sheets. So I said, maybe that's what these are for. See? It's just a little thin Teflon kind of thing. And you can put it right over to secure. And these aren't that expensive. I think we have four or five of these. These sizes, yeah, at least five of these that come in the pack. And then, like, you can cut it any size you want. And we sell them at our school, and we get them from a little Korean lady. Um, I think we sell these for about $10.99, maybe $11 for something like this, 11 to 12 Wonderful, wonderful. Andrews University. Same company. And do you know what they sell them for? Oh, wonderful. Where? Oh, so so you're better off getting. Maybe we should get them from there. <laughs> so yeah, so that's good. So from Bering Springs, Michigan. If you want to write this down, College of Technology, Bering Springs, Michigan. There you go. Because you know what? Everybody should have these at home. Or your charcoal or however else you have it. But these are so great for traveling when you go places. And uh, once you've opened them, put them in the refrigerator because they can get moldy. I've had them out and I've seen them get moldy. So put them in the refrigerator once you've opened the pack. 
The pack is sealed nicely. It can probably go for years. But once you've opened it, just put it in your refrigerator door or something. And then that way, everybody knows where to get it when they get injured. If you have a sprained ankle, you just slap one of them on there to help decrease the inflammation, especially right away. Oh, yeah, yeah. Either way, I would still, this is a Ziploc right here. This does Ziploc, this bag. Here, I can pass it around if you want to see it. Yeah, we were just going, you can get them for as low as five something, five ninety nine. did you say? Oh, from Wildwood. Okay, so no reason to get it. It's not outlandishly expensive. Ma, you pay more than that just for what? Cough syrup or aspirin or whatever people buy nowadays. <laughs> you know, somebody had mentioned turmeric. We give that to our dog. Our dog tends to get little tumors sometimes. So someone had mentioned some about turmeric, and we thought, yeah, tumor, turmeric, yeah, that makes sense. So we sprinkle it on our dog's food, and she eats it right up. And it's taken, she, she was starting to have a, a bigger tumor on her, um, right on her spine here somewhere up towards her neck, and it went right away. Within days, it was gone. So, and then I told somebody else at work about that. Her dog was getting tumors. <laughs> so she used it, and she noticed a huge difference, too, with her pet. Oh, yeah, turmeric's wonderful. It's known as an anti-cancer now, anti-inflammatory. So, you know, if you can study herbs and things, there's so much to, to learn out there and that you can help each other. Now, I wanted to share with you the paraffin bath. Although we didn't get to um, do a whole lot with it, a lot of people, when we've taught, or some people are like, oh, I bought one of them, or somebody bought one for me, but I don't know what to do with it. So we just bought this at Bed Bath & Beyond for, what, $39? And it comes with a little lid here and the wax inside. So all you do, you just take these, cut with your scissors, cut the wax open, and put it in here. And there's a bunch of them. So all you do is you just put them in there. And then this has a plug. You plug this in the wall. And of course, we take out the directions. And it has a little plate here that protects you from the bottom, which heats up. So you never want to touch the bottom of it or you'll burn yourself. So they put this little plate there to protect you. So you take this out of the package, put it down there. Just open these up, put them right in there. There's four of them in this pack. And it's OK if they stick up, because they will melt. So you just plug it in, let it melt, and it's good to go. And I'll, while it has here, I think it just has an on-off switch. Some of them will have high, low, high, medium, low. Um, you don't need anything fancy. You just hit heating here. Yeah, I just push in the button. When the light comes on, you know it's heating. It'll all melt down. And you can just leave it this way. My brother, he always makes sure he has a, a paraffin bath where he sits in the evenings when he's reading or doing something. And he does a lot of carpentry and handyman work. So he dips his hands in it almost every night. So it keeps them nice and soft and keeps them from feeling so beat up and stiff in the morning. So you can put your feet in here. If you have, um, maybe you sprained an ankle a while ago and you still have a lot of scar tissue and it's really stiff, 
you can put your foot right in there and cover your ankle. And how we do this, and it's mostly for arthritis. It works wonderfully for any type of arthritis. Usually if you use it every day, you dip every day for a week, even after a week it can get rid of your arthritis pain. You may not get rid of all the, the bumps and straighten out your fingers, but if you continue to use it on a regular basis, once you've peeled that wax off, you're exercising your fingers, if you keep doing that and changing your diet, like Tanya mentioned earlier, the milk and the sugar, very, very um, detrimental to people with arthritis. For some reason, it really, really affects the joints. So stay away from milk and sugar. And Dr. Thomas used to take people off of wheat and rye and a lot of the grains that people tended to have allergic reaction to or something. And a lot of them would become arthritis free. And I remember when I was at Weimar, we would have these little ladies come back that had been there years ago. They went through the program and they said, you know what, I kept up with my paraffin kept doing it every day or at least a few times a week and look at my fingers now they're straight and they're beautiful and, you know I couldn't believe it but I had a couple different elderly people come up and tell me that say after years of doing this because our bodies are made to heal so you put that wax and it surrounds your joints and your skin and that you can't sweat out the heat doesn't go anywhere but deeper inside the joint so it really helps to increase the, in, the circulation in the joints. So if you're having any hand problems, as long as there's no redness, no open wounds, things like that, heat, don't, don't use it for, you know, if anything's inflamed or infected. Otherwise, you can safely use the paraffin bath. So what you do, I'll take a few of these out. Once your wax is melted down nicely, you want to dip in 10 to 12 times, not just one time. So you dip your hand in, and if you're having wrist problems, you can do the same. Like if you've had carpal tunnel surgery and you want to, want to soften some of that scar tissue in there, you just dip it in and pull it out. And keep your fingers the same as when you put them in. If you wiggle them around, it'll make little um, openings in the wax. Then when the wax gets in there, it feels really, really hot. So however you start dipping, try to keep your fingers apart. Just keep dipping that way. Bring it out. It turns kind of whitish in just maybe 10, 15 seconds. Dip it back in again. Wait for it to turn whitish. Dip it in again. And how many times do we do this? Right. Hey, you guys are good. 10 to 12 times. Just like that. And then... If you look here, these are little baggies. Now, I just use what we get at Stater Brothers or any of the little grocery bags. You don't have to purchase these, but you can use the ones that come with it. Let me get these out of here. See, these are actually quite thin. And then once you've dipped your hand, it's nicely waxed. You just stick your hand right in there. And then you take a towel and wrap it with a towel to keep it nice and warm. And you can do one at a time if it's just you or if it's somebody else. You could do both of them and then you just sit there and watch your news or whatever you happen to be doing for about 10 minutes, 10, 20 minutes, just as long as it's still warm. 
Then when you take your hand out, you peel off that wax, and then you exercise your fingers. After that, you put it right back in there to melt again. All right? Now we like to always clean before we dip. All right? So that way you always have nice clean hands. So each time you peel this off and put it back in there, you're not going to get debris and things like that on there, you know, or, or dirty, dirty your wax. Now the wax will get a little dirty and get like some sediment and things in there after you've done this maybe a couple months or something like that. So the cleaner you start out with your hands and your feet that you're dipping, the longer your wax is going to last for. So remember, don't throw the wax away. <laughs> Put it back in. You know, and you can keep using it over and over. How long, how long you can use it for? This? The wax? Just till it gets dirty. And then you can just dump it out. And then you just buy new wax. Yep, so any place where you've bought this, like Bed Bath & Beyond had a little thing of refills for, I don't remember how much, but it wasn't that expensive. Hey, very nice. Canning wax. Where, where do you buy that? Wow. Nice, nice. So canning wax. And another thing you can do is add a couple drops of any essential oils. Eucalyptus, lavender, whatever you would like or whatever you've read about that's like, hey, this is good for arthritis or this is good for that. Whatever you're going to use it for, put it, just a few drops of that in there and it'll make it smell really nice and then your hands smell nice. And have you ever seen when you go for a pedicure or manicure? They do this because it makes your hands feel so soft and so nice. And, and what? Oh, yes, they do. Yes, they do. So this is a wonderful thing to have at home. And we share it with different people if they need any type of therapy. It's like, hey, here, try out the paraffin bath. This was $39 at Bed Bath & Beyond. And if you do the coupon, it's $35. And you can get them for Wal at Walmart for like 29 They come in different shapes and sizes, but we could only get these before for like over $100 at specialty stores. But now they're all over the place. So it's making it much easier. Any questions? Yes? You know, it's okay because this is 130-some degrees. So it's usually about 124 to 130 degrees. So as far as bacteria and germs, they're not going to grow in here. You don't need to worry about algae or anything growing in here. Just make sure that anybody who uses it, that they disinfect nicely before they dip. All right? Yep, good question. Any other questions? Okay. Very good. So that gives you a little bit of an idea of paraffin bath. Let's take a look here. Anybody else take a hot and cold shower again? Hey, look at that. You guys might get hooked on that. Very good. That's the best way to keep from getting colds and things in the wintertime. Or if your family is sick and you don't want to get sick, well, who wants to get sick? But, uh, yep, hot and cold showers, a wonderful thing. Are you noticing? Go ahead. Right. Exactly. It actually will help to tone your skin. 
to make your tone, yeah, make your skin firmer and nicer. That's why don't forget to end with the cold. That's the best part. All right, let's see here. We have where's ah plantar fasciitis. Anybody here have had plantar fasciitis or has? Had. How did you finally get rid of that? And how long did it take? That's good. That's very good. Because some, even athletes and young people, they suffer for six to eight months with it. I've seen them even on crutches. And, and I'm like, well, what have you done? Well, the doctor told me it'll take six months to a year to get better. And I'm like, what? Six months to a year? That's a long time to have foot pain. So here we are, plantar fasciitis. Yeah, we believe you can get rid of it a whole lot sooner than six months to a year. Where did you have the pain when you had the plantar fasciitis? Okay, did you have a heel spur that went with it? Good, good. Because remember we said when something is tight and it keeps tugging on the bone, what, what do you develop here? The calcium, right? Because it's trying to keep that tendon hooked to the bone so it will create more calcium. So a lot of times people get heel spurs, which are very sharp, right on the heel. Can you imagine that? Walking on a spur every day, very, very painful. A lot of times this is caused by not enough flexibility in your calf muscles, your gastrocnemius and your soleus. Right here we have our gastrocnemius. It's our nice big muscle back here. And you see how far up that tendon comes. You see this? This Achilles tendon. When I was a kid, I thought it was a bone. You feel that back there, your tendon? Doesn't it feel hard as a bone? We had a gal one time at Dr. Thomas's. She was throwing away the trash, so the dumpster was up there. And someone had used a can opener and opened up a can, and part of that can was right there at the edge when she went to throw the trash in, and it caught her, and it actually cut her Achilles tendon. She had to be in a cast for months, for I think like six months or more, in a cast in order for that to secure back again. So again, see, tendons and ligaments don't get a lot of circulation. So once you've really torn them, it takes a long time for them to heal. Sometimes people will even just step off a curb, but not quite off the curb, or just catch a part of the curb and their foot will extend like this and you can tear. And most of the time, if you've been on prednisone for a long time or other medications, you're more, more prone to actually tearing this Achilles tendon. So we have three muscles that attach onto it. The two main ones are gastrocnemius, this nice big one. And if you feel, you can feel how it comes up and where it starts to bulge here, the muscle. So that tendon is quite long right there. And then right underneath it, we, we have the soleus muscle, which is a flat. It's more of a flat muscle. They call it soleus like a sole fish, which is a flat fish. So that's the, the soleus right underneath there. And if you see, here comes the tendon, here's the heel or the calcaneus, 
and see how closely it's connected here to this whole plantar fascia ligament. See there, that's a ligament. It doesn't get a whole lot of blood supply because it doesn't have muscles on either end like a tendon does. So what happens in myofascial, and remember Tanya mentioned about the periosteum, how this actually gets connected underneath the bone in the periosteum. So really, these are very closely knit. So when this becomes very tight, it pulls all along here. See that? And when your hams or when your, your gastrocnemius or your calf muscles are tight, what does that do to your foot? Right? When a muscle's tight, it gets shortened or lengthened? It gets shortened, right? So we have our calf muscles here. What happens if I shorten it? Right? I pull it and I end up more, more or less pointing my toes. All right? So keep that in mind as we go along. So where is the pain? The pain in plantar fasciitis is usually a little bit more medial. It's close to the heel, but it's usually more medial in here. See where that is? And you'll see when, when they do a cortisol injection later into it. And then when is the pain greatest? This is how we know. And again, remember, we do not diagnose. But this gives us a better idea when we're working with a person to know, do they really have plantar fasciitis or something else going on? Pain is usually worse the first thing in the morning when their feet hit the ground. Why do you think that is? Right? It's, it's been tight. And then, right, it pulls. Remember how we talked about carpal tunnel? A lot of times the flexors are tight. So at night, it just goes like this. Well, it's the same thing when we're talking about plantar fasciitis. What happens is this muscle becomes very, very tight. And then all night, and especially if you have well-tucked-in sheets, your feet are like this at night. <laughs> I can't sleep, especially in the hotels. I make my bed and it's like I have to rip those covers back again <laughs> so that my feet will be like this at night. But if you're sleeping, and especially if you have any pain in your feet, please untuck those so you're not sleeping like this all night because all night this muscle is contracting and it's becoming very, very tight. It shortens at night. So as soon as your feet hit the ground and you stretch that, ow, where do you feel it? Right along that plantar fascia. So it just, it feels like it's just ripping and burning in the morning. But after they walk on it a while, usually throughout the day, it gets better. And it'll actually become a bit more tolerable. And then remember when it keeps tugging on that, see that where that plantar fascia keeps being so tight in that area, you develop a spur. And you can see right there where that is actually a very sharp looking thing. I, I had a friend one time, and he was a physician, an ER doc, and he actually took an x-ray of his own heel spur. He ended up with such pain. So he's like, Carl, I took an x-ray, and I have the biggest heel spur I've ever seen in any of my patients. He had a big heel spur. So what do you do for somebody that has a spur? Can we rub on it and get rid of the spur? 
No. Matter of fact, we don't want to put any pressure in this area because we're just going to aggravate it more. And, um, and you can actually cause damage when you're doing that. So a lot of times with plantar fasciitis, I seldom even touch the bottom of the feet, and especially in the heel area there, till the pain is gone. Once the pain is gone, then it's safe to work that area. I'll stretch the toes, I'll do some different things, but I'm not going to put any pressure in that area there. So, now from everything that you've learned, when we're dealing with plantar fasciitis, where would we start to treat? Or where, what, what muscles will we begin, right? The calf muscles. Are calf muscles tough to work on? Here, I'll just skip ahead here. We'll just go to some of these usual treatments. Have you ever seen these before? So they put these braces, just like for carpal tunnel, they have this, and this is a brace, so they sleep at night to make sure that their, their muscles stay stretched out. And then the cortisone injection, sometimes it becomes so painful, but ouch, that looks painful to me. But you can see where the pain typically is, and that's where they give the injection. And then there are different ways of taping. You, you, it's fun to take a kinesio taping class or something like that. Some are really expensive, but if you can ever learn about taping, some very interesting things. And then other times they'll do surgeries. Can you imagine them cutting into that? So sometimes if they have a really big heel spur, they'll just go in there and hack away at it. But it's very, very painful. And then at other times, some things that people do to soothe, they'll take a a water bottle like this and put it in the freezer so it's nice and cold and they'll run their rub their feet up and down so that may be some things for relief but again are we getting down to the problem what's really causing this now we're just treating symptoms so again you guys guess correctly tight calf muscles are often the problem and it's not only the calf muscles that we work on and as you see here again the gastrocnemius and that soleus that connects to that Achilles tendon. We also have the hamstring muscles because these are also very much connected. So if you're working on the calf you might as well work right up and work on those hamstring muscles. Now can you do that? Have you guys ever given like a Swedish massage? Do you have to go way deep and stuff like that to help? You know, even just taking a little bit of oil, which um, I left some of that in the car, but unfortunately we don't have tables and we can't work on each other. But you would just take that oil, put some on your hands, and just work, and here's some pictures of how you would work the calves. You would just use, remember the thenar eminence, along with the thumb, that whole area, and just work up there like that. And you want some nice strokes for the circulation. Right? You don't have to be a, a massage therapist to do this. If you can ever take classes, that's always a wonderful thing. But in the meantime, you know, working on family, friends, and, and people that you know, just working nicely. And then you can go in just a little bit deeper just by keeping your thumbs together, running straight up the calf, because it actually splits up here, the gastrocnemius. It has two heads. So you can work right up the middle but no digging underneath the knee. We're always careful because of the lymph and the vessels here and the nerves 
that are closer in the knee. So, but you can work that, just, you know, make it very comfortable. Have them loosen up. And the same thing for the calves. You can go right up the calves, let up. You want to let up the pressure at the popliteal area behind the knee. Never put a lot of pressure there. And then just work right up here. And where you feel it tight, just work it a little bit more. And then you can even take your fist and go right along there with your fist. And here's a cool thing, too, is some Thai massage. This is part of Thai massage. You just take your feet, and you can just work in there a little bit and pull and stretch at the same time you're applying a little bit of pressure. So um, yeah, especially when you're working on your spouse or somebody, kind of a fun little thing to do. It's probably because you're having a lot of trigger points in your calves. And, and I'm glad you brought that up, too. He was saying with fibromyalgia, a lot of times the symptoms of plantar fasciitis occur with people with, with fibromyalgia, which I wouldn't be surprised at all because everything tightens. And, but releasing some of the trigger points in the calves can be very effective, too, and in the hamstrings. And you guys are familiar, right? Remember the trigger points? We never go beyond a right? Five, six area, right? Let it ease up. If the pain doesn't go away or lessen while you're, while you're putting pressure on it, then just back off. You might be on a nerve or someplace that's not safe to be. And then we have them stretch, lots of calf stretch every hour. I say get up from your chair at work, wherever you are, stretch those calf muscles. Now, when I do a stretch, like this, right? We're stretching our calf muscle, right? I can feel that stretch on my calf. Now, I also want to stretch the soleus muscle because it's another muscle that attaches onto that Achilles tendon. So a way to do that is to bend your knee in, still keeping your heel on the floor, and just bend your knee in. So everybody get up, and let's do that. We'll do a nice calf stretch. And remember, how often should they be doing this? Every, every hour, you know, half hour too if they can. But just a nice little stretch. You feel that in the calf? Now, keep your foot flat on the ground and bend your knee down. Do you feel a different stretch? And it may even feel more intense because it may even be tighter. That's for your soleus. The soleus is behind. Let me show a picture here. Again, oops, going the wrong direction. If we look at the anatomy picture again, you see this gastrocnemius here? Soleus is that thin muscle underneath there. So we just, and then posterior tibialis is a little tighter. There's, there's some other, I mean a little further in, deeper. So go to the other one now because we want to stretch them both. And of course, before and after you walk, you can do a little bit of stretching. You should always be warmed up, though, a little bit before you stretch. I like to walk for a while, then stretch, and then afterwards, stretch a little bit. So for the gastrox, keep that leg straight. And then which one are we stretching when we bend our knee down? Soleus, yes. 
Good. So you feel that? Every hour. Mm -hmm. Just as often as they can think about it. If you tell them every hour, maybe they'll do it every two to three hours. <laughs> so, but let them know as often as they can, stretch that out. And a lot of times, once you've worked it, you're stretching it out and um, working some of those hamstrings, and then later on, we start to work on the foot, their, their symptoms are gone usually within a week or something, just depending on how often they come to get treatment. After you take off that tension, after that eases up, it just starts to disintegrate and reverse itself. And then you get more circulation in there. You can always do hot and cold. A lot of um, chiropractors and PTs like to do ultrasound. So that's another thing. But anything to get the circulation in there, doing hot and cold foot baths, contrast bath, that would be wonderful. Whatever you can do to get the circulation in there. In the meantime, you can put on um, certain little things like this, BioFreeze. And I'll pass this around. It's a cooling spray. We like this stuff. BioFreeze, you just put it on and then it just cools. Feels good. You can also take Aspercream. I'm not big for medications, but you can put a little Aspercream on there too that will help. I had a client, he had it quite bad one time, and, and he had arthritis, so he had this Voltaren or something. He's like, Coral, I just took my Voltaren and I smashed it all up and I put it in a little Vaseline and stuck it right on there. And he said it helped. So topically, you can put some things on there. Otherwise, wear these pads. You know, I was over at Walmart this morning, our Walgreens, and I saw, I went, well, I was looking for some hose, but I went through the section where they had foot care and all these different types of inserts that you can put in your shoes very soft ones. Some were gels, some were fluffy, and I was like, hey, it's just a little drugstore, but yet it had so many different things. So you might want to invest in some of those, something softer to walk on, till the pain starts to resolve itself. And you can pass that around if you'd like to. But that's for any muscle aches and pains when you're working on people. Any, any more questions as we're going along? Are you kind of getting the idea of the theme when things are tight, that it's pulling on things, always work the opposite muscles as well. You know, and with this too, you can always work the, the front muscles a little bit here and stretch and, you know, both of them as well. But the thing is, we want you guys to start thinking about these things so that you can help more people. And there again is a soleus stretch when you just brought the knee a little bit down toward the ground. And then once you've worked on the hamstring some, just some nice hamstring stretches. Remember how Tanya said, if you can't bring your, your leg up this far, you're tight. You're tight in your hamstrings. So you can stretch them a little bit this way or like she's doing on the track. If you're overweight, you know what? Most of the clients I've seen have not been overweight. I've seen, I remember a fireman one time, he was taking these classes and he hooked his foot underneath his chair during the classes. So it was plantar flexed, what we call plantar flexed. See, it was like this, he hooked it under the chair during the meetings. So for hours he had it in that position. And that seemed to be something that caused it. My brother wears these big work boots when he's working 
And um, after, what he used to do is just hit the ground <laughs> to get the mud and the dirt off from Pennsylvania. And, uh, and he actually injured the bottom of his foot some doing that. And every now and then he'll get plantar fasciitis, but he knows he just comes to clinic. Students work on him and he's fine. So, and then once you've loosened it up and you don't have a lot of pain, then you can start to gently massage the plantar fascia. And I may work at the toe area at the very beginning just a little bit, but never where the pain is. But as they get better, I will stretch, because I'll stretch the calf. Um, boy, I, I'd hate to lay anybody on this table here. <laughs> is there anybody small that, that would like to lay on this table? I think we're all right. I just don't want it to collapse or anything. All right. Thank you, Janet. Yeah, yeah, that would be fine. And then you'll need to lay face down. The easiest way to the feet, and if I can, all right. And I'll just, I always like to disinfect a little bit here. Okay. A very easy way to work on the feet are right here, just like this. I have their feet right here, I have their calves, everything right here. And I like to start always away from it, so maybe I'll work a little bit here, maybe do, you know, use a little bit of oil. I can always go up here like this, and then I'll get in a little deeper, and then I can use my fist. And I like to shorten the muscle too while I work on it. So it makes it easier, right? And you can just take your fist and just go right up to the edge here of the glutes. So you can just work right up there. And you can see if they're tight. And also, I like to just apply a little pressure, let it stretch out. Again, am I digging in anywhere? Am I applying? No. You don't need to. Stay away from this popliteal area. Then I'll come down and maybe use a little bit of lotion here, work the calves. I can do these crossovers, you know, like this with my whole thenar eminence. Like this, get them nicely. And then I can put my thumbs together, go straight up, and I'll see if I feel anything like a trigger point. So if all of a sudden I feel something that's really tight in there, and when I get up to the knee, I come out to the side, I just follow the muscle attachments there. And then back again. And if I've felt some real tightness, maybe close to the Achilles tendon down here, or maybe right in the middle of the calf, then I can just do the trigger point. So I would just gently go in here. Do you feel anything there? Yeah, a lot of people do have soreness. I'll go a little bit more right in the belly here. And then I hold for how long? about a minute to a minute and a half and I ask her if the pain is decreasing as it decreases then what do I do it's down to a two or three go just a little bit deeper so what is that at now oh so she doesn't have a whole lot here but if she says it's not going anymore when I go deeper then I'm done I've taken care of that layer that means the trigger point was pretty superficial all right so then we always Massage nice after that. 
And then I can move right down to the feet. Now the feet, you can use a little bit of oil, stretch out that plantar fascia a little bit. And remember, right here is where the pain's gonna be. So again, I'm not gonna prod and push on any of this stuff, especially at the beginning. I may just work up here, take her toes, stretch a little bit. But as she gets better, I will stretch every direction of this foot. See, and usually it feels pretty good. See, like that, I'll stretch it all out. Then I'll go this way and stretch it. Anything, remember, we want to get the circulation in there. I'll take the toes and kind of move them back and forth right between each one of these metatarsal areas here. Okay, nice and simple like that. And then, as she gets better, then I can work closer to here closer to the heel area. And you notice how I just put a little pressure and stretch. Little pressure, stretch. And I can do that in the calves the same way. I squeeze them lightly and push down. Just squeeze and push down. This is what we learned in, this is actually British sports massage. Stuart Taws. He teaches all over the world. He's amazing. And a lot of his stuff is just applying pressure and stretch pressure and stretch. Now I'm just putting my thumb right into the, the belly of the gastrocnemius and stretch. You see that? So you think those simple things would bring some circulation into there? Yeah. Ha did I use a lot of effort? Did I cause a lot of pain? No. No. And you never should. <laughs> right? You never should. And see, I can tell the difference. You can tell how one, one's looser than the other. Just that little bit of work. So, yep, so that's pretty much. So when you're dealing with plantar fasciitis, remember it's not just the foot. It's up above it. Oh, her feet are even a different color? <laughs> See, circulation is a wonderful thing. Thank you so much, Janet. <laughs> Appreciate that. But do you see that, how you have to get them into where you're comfortable working, too? Seeing how easy that is? Let me just use Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, whatever I do to the one leg, if they're problematic or not, I do to the other. The body is very well balanced. If she was in a lot, a lot of pain, I'll often start on the opposite side because it has a reflex kind of thing to the opposite side. So just Getting them to know your touch and relaxing on the one side will also help the other side. So it's always better to work away from the pain and then come closer to it. And in the body, will tell you how close you're allowed to the pain. Otherwise, stay away from it for now. Let the body heal itself because all we are are just increasing the circulation so the body can heal itself. And just some simple things to remember. Avoid running on hard surfaces. You know, we tell them, because I ask a lot of questions, too, when I start working on somebody. What do you think the cause is? Did you just run a marathon? You know, what kind of shoes are you wearing? What, you know, all these type of things. What happened to cause the injury? But running on hard surfaces can do a lot of damage to your feet, not just with plantar fasciitis. And um, as Dr. Thomas used to always say, you should be walking on uneven surfaces. That means not always on the road where just your front and back muscles are working. 
you want to hike, you want to walk on rocks, you want to walk on, that's why when I walk on here, I try to walk in the grass and, you know, where your feet are going all different directions because you have muscles on the side here too, your peroneal muscles and different muscles that control your feet going back and forth this way. So we always want to be balanced. So remember that, don't just walk on the roads all the time. Get off the roads, walk in the sand. You know, it's funny because Dr. Thomas back in the day would say, come on, Corolla, let's walk. You know, we're always walking in the sand or way on the side of the road. <laughs> you know, because he always, he always did what he talked about. And I always, yeah, I respected him for that. So wear proper shoes. You want to wear supportive shoes, not those flimsy things. Try to get something with a little bit of arch support, something that's nice and soft and comfortable for your feet. I find that ASICs are great for me because I can stand in them, I can teach in them, I can walk in things, and my feet won't hurt. But if I go over to a Nike or Adidas, you know, some of them aren't quite as comfortable. So find a shoe that works for you. So any questions at all? Yes. Mostly in the muscles. Mostly, a lot of times they're in the belly of the muscles and they're also towards where the tendons meet the muscle itself. You can find a lot of trigger points. Or where the, where the tendon attaches to the bone, then you may be able to find some trigger points there as well. Trigger point actually means where when you press it, it has pain that radiates. Right? So if I press here and I start feeling pain coming up here, I know that's a, a trigger point. You have other points, we call them stress points. They may not radiate pain, but they're still something that you want to get rid of. But a true trigger point will usually radiate pain. You press here and the pain goes maybe up or down the arm or up the neck. Same thing in the glutes. It could go down the leg, it could go up. And as a person gets massaged, they will become more in tune with their bodies. Like Tanya said, sometimes people are numb when you're working on muscles that are almost as hard as rock. And I remember even when we started out, we didn't know anatomy quite that well, and you would feel these really, really tough muscles, and you're like, I think that's a muscle, but it sure does feel like a bone. So I have to go back to the books and look it up and say, no, that is a muscle. But because it's become so hard, they will even collect calcium and become even as hard as a bone. That doesn't mean it's calcified, but I remember even one time we did an autopsy on, well, we were just sitting in on an autopsy, and this lady was alcoholic and a smoker. And so we had, we sawed, I guess they sawed her brain, we were right there, that they sawed her skull and you could see it when they pulled it back that she'd had a massive stroke. So there's a big clump of blood there. Then they opened her up and started pulling out her organs. Do you know her liver just crunched the whole way through? All of her vessels just had this atherosclerosis, this calcium that, that was in there. And I just never forget that. Even cut down the aorta, opened up the aorta, and it was like Swiss mountains. It was like the calcium was so sharp. We even felt it with our gloves. It was very, very sharp. So calcium does try to protect things in the body and it will develop and that's why we end up with the bone spurs and things like that. So, so our body's always, you know, seems to be collecting it somewhere. So, but as long as you're healthy and you have good circulation, you're not going to be
collecting it all over. So any other questions? Okay. This media was produced by Audioverse for the NAD Health Summit. If you would like to learn more about the NAD Health Summit, please visit www.nadhealthsummit.com or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.